Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. This is an unsocialized introvert's impression of a moderately socialized extrovert. (laughs) Oh, lordy. I don't think I have my usual jazz today. We'll see how it goes. Here, I'll throw jazz hands. (sighs) Did that help? Probably not. I totally lied. I did not throw jazz hands. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Yes, I'm here for yet another issue. I'm still here. Imagine that. There hasn't been a boycott, and no angry mobs have shown up on my lawn with torches and pitchforks. Well, at least for that reason. But all the rumors are false. Don't believe what you read in the press. I didn't do it! It wasn't me. It was Uncle Eddie, I swear. (laughs) If you don't know what I'm talking about, that's okay. I don't know either. Now, if you missed the big news that came down last month, Lightspeed has once again been nominated for the Hugo Award for Best Semi-Prosine. Also, our humble editor, John Joseph Adams, has been nominated for Best Editor Short Form. We send our congratulations to all the other Hugo nominees, and our thanks goes out to everyone who nominated us. Everyone at Lightspeed is honored and excited to be so recognized. Now, we hope that you'll consider doing your part to broaden awareness of the magazine by helping others to discover Lightspeed. Posting reader reviews on sites like Amazon.com and BN.com are a huge help in that regard. Positive reviews and high-star ratings are a contributing factor to readers trying out something new. Reviews of individual issues are, of course, much appreciated. And if you're a subscriber, please also consider posting a review on the magazine's subscription page at Amazon or Waitlist Books. Now, if you're not a subscriber, well, why not? If you do subscribe, you'll have every issue of Lightspeed delivered automatically to your Kindle library, whether it's an actual Kindle or one of the Kindle apps. Visit lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe to learn more about all of our subscription options. And lastly, we want to point out that there's several ways you can sign up to be notified of new Lightspeed content. You can subscribe to our free monthly newsletter, RSS Feed. You can follow us on Twitter, like our fan page on Facebook, or you can add us to your circles on Google+. If you visit lightspeedmagazine.com and click on this month's editorial, you'll find links to all of our social media pages. Well, now that we got all that out of the way, let's get to this week's story. Our first science fiction offering from the May issue is Nightside on Callisto by Linda Nagata. It's read for you marvelously by Hilary Huber. Linda Nagata grew up in a rented beach house on the north shore of Oahu. She graduated from the University of Hawaii with a degree in zoology and worked for a time at the Haleakala National Park on the island of Maui. She's been a writer, a mom, a programmer of database-driven websites, and lately, a publisher and book designer. She is the author of nine novels, including The Boar Maker, winner of the Locus Award for Best First Novel, and The Navala Goddesses, the first online publication to receive a Nebula Award. She lives with her husband in their longtime home on the island of Maui. Sounds gorgeous. I hope you enjoy the story. I sure did. Now, if you do, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, Find This Story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. Well, that about does it for this week's intro. So without further ado, let's make the jump to Lightspeed.
Nightside on Callisto by Linda Nagata. A faint, steady vibration carried through the igloo's massive ice walls. A vibration that shouldn't have been there. Jane heard it in her sleep. Age had not dulled her soldiers' reflexes, honed by decades spent on watch against incursions of the red. Her eyes snapped open. She held her breath. The vibration hummed in the walls, in the bed frame, in the mattress, perceivable even over Carly's raspy breathing. Jane reminded herself that the red was far, far away, its existence bound to Earth, where it bled through every aspect of life, a relentless tide of information and influence shepherding the thoughts and actions of billions along paths determined by its unknowable goals. Whether the red was alive or aware, Jane couldn't say, and she had no opinion either on its virtue. She only wanted to keep it out of the shell cities. Most of her life had gone to the long defense of their growing union, an association of scattered orbital habitats determined to stay free of the red. But in retirement, Jane had found new opportunities. Less than 24 hours ago, her team of four had touched down on Callisto, Jupiter's outermost Galilean moon, and the only one that lay beyond the gas giant's killing radiation belts. A raft of construction equipment had preceded them, including a gang of ten small mechs that had assembled a sprawling igloo in time for them to move in. It was the team's task to establish a prototype ice mining station to supply the expansion of the shell cities. Maybe the vibration was generated by some new construction activity at the launch rail? Probably that was it. But probably never was a sufficient explanation. Jane slipped out from under the shared blanket, careful not to wake Carly, who'd crawled into bed just an hour ago. Each team member worked a staggered 12-hour shift. Jane had taken the first rotation, and her night was almost through. The airskin membrane lining the walls and the ceiling sensed her movements and responded with a glimmer of vague gray illumination. Jane stood up slowly on sleep-stiffened limbs. A century of existence had left her thin and tough and inclined to feel cold. So over a foundation of thermal underwear, she added insulated slacks, a pullover of the same material, thin gloves for her hands, and cozy house boots for her feet. One more layer in the cocoon that protected them from the cold and vacuum beyond the igloo's walls. Jane knew with utter certainty that they were alone in Jupiter's system. The red could not be here. The light speed lag in information flow kept it confined near Earth and no other expedition had ventured so far in years. So their team was on its own, with no backup if something went wrong, which was why the four of them had been awarded this project. They were each experienced, competent, and expendable. The bedchamber was sealed off from the rest of the igloo by an airskin lock. Jane touched the membrane. It felt smooth and hard beneath her gloved hand. But when she swept her fingers across it, the skin lock responded, pulling aside in neat glassy ripples. Massive blocks of ancient ice made up the igloo's walls and ceiling, insulating the interior spaces from background radiation. But it was the air skin that made the igloo habitable. 
a semi-intelligent, quasi-living tissue, the skin lined every chamber, locking in pressure and providing heat and fresh air. If perforated, it would self-seal, and its motility allowed it to repair even major tears. Jane stepped past the plastic panel door into a central alcove with toilets and showers on either side. Two steps ahead, a lock on the right stood open to the easy room with its cushy inflatable furnishings, food stores, and oven, while on the left, another open lock hooked up to HQ, where the work was done. Jane heard Barrett speaking. She couldn't make out the words, but Barrett's sharp, angry tone confirmed Jane's first suspicion. Something had gone wrong. Jane resisted the impulse to sprint into HQ. Agent experience had taught her to always attend to basics, so she slipped into the toilet first, and only when that necessity was out of the way did she trot around the corner. Barrett heard her coming and greeted her with a scowl. She was 99, an age that could be seen in the translucence of her brown skin, in the drape of tissue around her stern eyes, and in the thinning of her bright white hair. Like Jane, Barrett had lived most of her life as a soldier in the Defense Force, and like Jane, she'd been lucky, surviving to tell the tale. The two women had partnered on more assignments than either cared to remember. What woke you up? Barrett snapped. The smell of trouble. Why am I hearing tones of displeasure in your voice? Because I am not pleased. Lorelei was their civilian engineer, a petite, soft-spoken woman who, at 103, was older even than Jane. She provided more details without turning away from a 3D model of this station. Our mechs are tainted. Something's gotten into them, and they aren't accepting commands. The Red followed us here, Barrett added with fatalistic certainty. When Jane joined them, they made a circle around the model. How? Lorelai looked up, her deep blue eyes nestled in the folds and rough texture of her dark skin. Her hair was brilliant white and still thick despite the years, confined in a heavy braid at her shoulder. She opened her mouth to speak, and a high-pitched whistle screamed through the igloo. Jane's ears popped. The airskin lock rustled shut, sealing HQ from the rest of the station and muting the whistle. But Jane could still hear a distant wail of escaping air. Pressure suits, she barked. Now, go! The suits hung ready on the wall beside the external lock. Jane had taken only two steps toward them when a faint pop put an end to the whistle. The igloo shuddered as massive ice blocks groaned against each other. God damn it, Jane thought, grabbing two suits and tossing them to Barrett and Lorelei. God damn it if the roof comes down. They'd celebrated when they'd won this mission, knowing they'd gotten it because it was risky and because they were old. Medical technologists in the shell cities had learned to minimize the deterioration of old age so that hale and healthy lifespan stretched past a century. But inevitable, catastrophic failure still loomed. A blood vessel bursting in the brain, a heart chamber undergoing sudden collapse, a lung growing irreparably brittle. The cold fact was, none of them had much time left. If they didn't survive this mission, well, 
only a handful of unlived years would be lost. But in the meantime, they were privileged to set foot on one of Jupiter's moons and to have the chance of leaving the shell cities just a little more secure. And the goddamn roof was not going to come down. Not if Jane could help it. She grabbed a third pressure suit and stepped into it, pulling the edges together to let it seal. A pressure suit was just another form of air skin, made to wrap around the body. An inch thick in most places, it was powered by slender, flexible fuel cells embedded across the back. Robotic carbon fiber hands at the sleeve ends exactly mimicked every twitch of Jane's own fingers, which remained safe and warm within the sleeves. Using an artificial hand, Jane reached up and grabbed her hood, preventing it from sealing. Lorelei and Barrett were still wrapping their suits on. Lorelei, stay here and get those mechs in order. Barrett, get outside and figure out what the hell just happened. I'm going after Carly. She released her hood, not waiting for an answer. It rolled across her face, where it sealed, shaped, and hardened. The airskin lock to the central alcove had sealed, but the color-coded indicator glowed green, confirming full pressure beyond. Jane passed through, carrying Carly's suit with her. The lock sealed again behind her. A glance around the alcove confirmed all the locks had closed. Those to HQ, the easy room, and the toilets showed green. But the indicator beside the bedchamber flashed in calamitous red. Jane bit down on the inside of her lip, remembering Carly's warmth and her good humor. Barrett, I'm heading out now, she answered over the suit radio. Then, oh. A single word, the pain in it as sharp as shattered ice. I see what you're looking at. I'm going in. Jane brushed her fingers across the skin lock, her suit stiffened as air was evacuated from the alcove, and for a moment she couldn't move. Then the suit's cross-linked cells adapted to the pressure change, and once again sensors picked up the motion of her body and echoed it, moving as she moved, tripling her strength. Though if the power unit ever ran down, the pressure suit would become her diamond coffin. She still held on to Carly's suit, for all the good it would do. The airskin opened, light that didn't belong illuminated the bedchamber with a faint glow. Their station was sighted away from Jupiter, and the sun was too far away to make a difference. But a small measure of starlight spilled in through a ragged hole, three feet wide and slanting up through a massive block of ice. The light wasn't enough to make out any details until the suit's faceplate switched to night vision. Then Barrett's voice sighed over the calm. Oh, Carly, blood-red piss. She was trying to get to the lock. Carly's body lay face down against the floor, her legs and hips crushed beneath the ice that had fallen from the ceiling. Her fate had been set the moment Jane decided to leave her sleeping, while Jane's own bitter luck still held. She forced herself to look away from the body, to look up, the airskin had been ripped open around the deep, ragged hole in the ice roof. Its tattered edges writhed, questing blindly for each other. More and more of it peeled away from the low ceiling, from the walls. 
It would keep peeling until the torn edges could reach each other, and then it would seal. All this Jane took in at a glance, and then she noticed movement just outside the hole, a mech outlined against the stars. All ten of the station mechs were the same model. They had a core carapace in the shape of a disc and roughly the size of a seat cushion, mounted on three highly flexible telescoping legs. Each hemisphere of the carapace had a working arm. The upper half could swivel so that the two arms could be positioned at any angle to one another. Most often, though, the arms were combined into a single limb for additional strength. By default, mechs stood with their legs at full extension, making them roughly waist-high. Half-inch circles of cold blue light dotted their legs and made a glowing belt around their carapaces. The mech on the igloo's roof had a subordinate drill unit set up at the edge of the hull. The drill was just a tool with no onboard intelligence. Its cylindrical column waited motionless while the mech paced around it in what looked like frantic indecision. Jane felt her skin crawl watching it. Mechs should not behave that way. She wondered what directive had brought it to the igloo's roof. Lorelei? Here. Lorelei's voice was a choked whisper. Tell me that mech showed up to repair the damage. I don't know why it's there. I can't know. Its directives have been changed. I can't get any data out of it. I can't get any instructions in. The mechs are talking to each other, but they won't communicate with me. Mechs possessed a limited machine intelligence. Though they could learn by experience, they weren't remotely self-aware. And still, the directives that guided them could result in behavior that imitated volition in a truly unsettling way. As Jane watched, one of the mech's arms darted under its belly, then flashed out again, dropping a finger-sized cylinder through the hole. The cylinder fell in slow motion, bouncing off the mound of fallen ice before tumbling to the floor. A bang rod, Jane realized, a small explosive used by the mechs to quarry the granite-hard ice at Callisto's surface. Get down, Barrett screamed over the suit's comm system. Jane was already moving, diving behind the bed, just before the bang rod exploded with a brilliant flash. The floor jumped, a flash of heat washed past, and then Jane rolled, the suit providing a smooth muscle assist to get her to her feet again. Ice flakes and frozen flecks of blood dropped like snow, blanketing a shallow crater and the raw red frozen mass that had been Carly's body. Lorelei, Jane asked in a steely voice, did that mech just try to blow me up? Lorelei's mind was on other things. She spoke in breathy excitement. I just found a record of a transmission from the landing pod right before everything fell apart. What are you talking about? The landing pod sitting empty outside our front door. It's powered down. Power's back on, Lorelai said, her voice breaking. There's some device in it we didn't know about. We're at war, Jane. I goddamn well know that. And we've just been hit. Whatever was in the pod pumped tainted directives into the mechs and changed their access codes. God knows what they're programmed to do now. They're programmed to sabotage this mission, 
Barrett growled over the calm. Because the red doesn't want us growing. We should have seen this coming. Jane watched the mech reach out with a mechanical hand, disconnecting the tether that tied it to the drill subordinate. A second mech appeared and immediately hopped down through the hall, dropping into the bedchamber with dreamlike lethargy. It was still falling when a six-inch jet of tightly focused blue flame spat from a torch gripped in its mechanical arm. Jane fell back as it landed in the blast crater. Its telescoping legs flexed to absorb the impact and then flexed again as it launched itself at her. Screams filled the calm, but Jane ducked nimbly aside. The mech's carapace spun around as it landed, its arm extended as it tried to rake her with the torch. But it had been built for construction, not battle. Jane was faster. Dodging the flame, she threw herself on top of it, landing chest first on its carapace. To her surprise, its legs collapsed under her weight. She rode it to the floor, using the suit's mechanical hands to hold onto its arm, forcing the fiery torch away from her face. With the suit's muscle assist, she had as much strength as the mech, and to her astonishment, it stopped struggling after just a few seconds. Its torch switched off. What just happened? Jane whispered. Lorelei answered over the comm. It summoned a crane to get the weight off its back. Logical response to baseline directive. Don't damage yourself. Now shut it down. How? There's a panel in the carapace. Don't shift your weight. Just feel for it. Jane scowled. She was holding the mech's arm with both her mechanical hands, but now, cautiously, she let one go. As her carbon fiber fingers slid around the carapace, the suit replicated the texture for her organic fingers. She found the panel, popped the release, slipped her hand inside. This is a whole keypad. What am I supposed to do? Lower two corners, top center. Press them all at once. Hold them down. Jane did it, suddenly aware of a faint vibration within the mech, only because it ceased. That's it, Lorelei said grimly. One down, nine to go. But the mech didn't look like it had been shut down. The lights on its legs and carapace still glowed. Lorelei, why are the lights still on? They're self-powered. Ever try finding a quiescent mech in the dark? Jane snorted. So that's it? That's all there is to it? We just switch them off? This is going to be Lorelei. Barrett's voice cut across the calm, edged in panic. Get outside now. Mechs are above you, drilling on the roof. Jane, on my way. First, though, Jane took the torch from the switched-off mech and used it to cut a five-foot length out of the twisted remains of the plastic bed frame. Steel would have been better, but at least now she had a weapon with better reach than the torch. The torn airskin had continued to peel off the wall, rolling down so far that it was writhing around her, its raw edges beginning to seal. Jane took a giant step to get on top of it. Then she lobbed her plastic rod through the hole in the roof, vaulting after it with a powerful muscle assist from the suit. Under Callisto's low gravity, she shot up through the hole. Her mechanical fingers hooked over the rim of ice, and she hauled herself out onto the roof. 
The igloo's ice blocks had been quarried from beneath the dusty regolith. Impurities in the ice infused it with a gray, piebald cast that gleamed only faintly under the star-spangled sky. The land around was even darker, a gray, granular plain that rolled away to low, encircling hills with steep profiles that rose in black outline against the stars. Frost glimmered faintly, looking like a mist laid across the rounded peaks. The construction site was a half mile away, on flat ground, where steel bars for the launch rail were piled up into their own small hill. The mechs should have been at work on the rail bed, but Jane saw nothing moving out there. Closer in, the landing pod crouched on bent legs, sparkling like gold foil. Jane spotted two mechs loitering near it, then she turned to look across the flat roof. The blast hole was close to one end. In the open area beyond it, Barrett chased a retreating mech. Another circled around to where three drill units bored into the ice above HQ, each one sending up a plume of frost that glittered in the starlight. Jane imagined the mech's simple logic. Drills bore holes into ice. Bang rods drop into holes. Heavy, ice-insulated roofs get blown asunder. The third mech on the roof was the one that had dropped the bang rod. It skittered toward her around the edge of the blast hole, but it didn't have a torch, and it had already used its explosive. Jane didn't see how it could be dangerous, so she circled the hole to meet it. It saw her move and hesitated. Jane didn't. Taking two long strides, she threw herself at it, just as she had with the other. But this mech anticipated her. Its legs flexed, and it jumped out of reach. Jane slammed against the roof, sliding several feet past the hull, only remembering to dig in with her mechanical fingers a moment before she went hurtling over the roof's edge. Over the calm, Barrett's breath came fast and heavy. Guess what, Janie? The mechs have figured out that move. I can't get near them. Jane groaned, thanks for letting me know, and got back onto her feet. The mech stood, unmoving, a few meters away. It looks confused, Jane muttered. Maybe it didn't know what to do next. Maybe its directive didn't include all the necessary details of murder when the first assault had failed. Unlike the mech, Jane could come up with alternatives. An image of the blood-red pulp of Carly's body flashed across her mind. Returning to the hole, she grabbed the abandoned drill unit. The tool probably masked as much as she did, but this was low-grav Callisto, and Jane was wearing a powered suit. It was no problem at all to hurl the drill straight at the mech's carapace. The mech ducked by collapsing its telescoping legs. It dropped with astonishing speed, and the drill shot harmlessly past it spinning away in a trajectory that took it beyond the roof and far out over the gray flats. So, projectiles weren't going to work. Jane bent to retrieve her plastic staff, determined to give that a try. As she straightened up again, the two mechs from below vaulted onto the roof above HQ. One at a time, Janie, she reminded herself and with an overhead stroke, she brought the rod down hard against the first mech's carapace. The staff snapped in two. The mech took no damage at all. Jane flung away the remnant in disgust. So much for that idea. 
and now they had to contend with four mechs on the roof instead of just two. The drills were unattended, but they continued to work, boring ever deeper into the igloo. Jane turned her attention to them. There was no way she was going to let another chamber get blown. She bounded past the blast hall toward the nearest drill. Ice flakes showered her as she reached it. The drill stood thigh high, a slender cylinder hot enough to turn the falling flakes to vapor. Jane grabbed it with her mechanical hand and yanked, but bolts locked it to the ice. She crouched, searching the drill for a panel like the one on the mech, but she couldn't find one. Lorelei, you still alive? So far. How do I shut off a drill? You don't, unless you know how to send drill codes. Fine, then. Barrett, watch my back. Flicking on the torch she'd taken from the mech, Jane started cutting. The drill shook when she sliced away the first bolt holding it to the ice. It bucked when she cut the second, and then it shut down. Safety override? Two other drills were running. With Barrett standing guard, she cut bolts on both of them, and when they unbalanced, they shut down too. Nice. Barrett said, but we still have nine hostile mechs to contend with. She was standing a few feet away, jumping at any mech that dared to come close. Lorelei? Jane asked. Where are you? In the landing pod. Jane glanced at the gold foil dome resting on the regolith below. The door was closed. Okay, stay there. Barrett, let's get out to the construction site, pick up some explosives and maybe a rebar or two to smash these red traitors. Jane, no, Lorelai snapped. Do not damage the mechs. Oh, Barrett said. I guess you didn't see her hurl that drill unit. What? Lorelai sounded outraged. Jane, we need the mechs, every one of them, or this project fails. We've already lost the mechs, Jane shot back. She longed to get her mechanical hands around a steel rebar and test that against a carapace. Maybe find out what a mech was made of inside. Carly is dead, and this project has failed. Carly is dead, Lorelai agreed, speaking softly now, hurriedly. But we're still here and the Shell Cities are still going to need every crystal of water we can send them, and we're not going to be able to send even one drop without mechs to build the launch rail. I am not lifting off from here until that rail is built. God damn it, Lorelei. You're the expert on mechs, and you said you can't communicate with them. You can't override their rogue programming. I can't, not until they're shut down manually shut down, each and every one of them, just like that mech in the bedchamber. Her voice softened again. Then they can be reset to factory specs. They won't know how to build anymore, but we can teach them that. Jane turned to Barrett. Her faceplate was black in the dim light, but her bitter mood came through in her voice. You hear that, Janie? The first rule of this little battle is do no harm. You better give me that torch before the rule slips your mind. Lorelei wanted to close off the honey hole. 
The mechs had a hybrid biomechanical architecture that required them to resupply and repower every 12 hours or so inside the honey hole. An excavated ice cave out by the construction site, stocked with fuel cells and organic supplies. Jane, though, wasn't willing to leave four functioning mechs on the roof. Three of them probably still had bang rods. Why didn't they use them? Maybe they didn't know how. Without a drill hole to stuff them into, or a blast hole to toss them down, their simple behavioral algorithms might be stymied. They could learn, though. They'd watched Jane take down a mech, and now they retreated if Jane or Barrett approached them. But if the women turned their backs, the mechs approached, carrying torches and saws in their mechanical hands like a pod of metallic zombies. Hey, Jane said, I'm going to walk away. If one starts to follow, you fall in behind. Push it close to me. Barrett nodded. Go. Jane set off at a slow pace across the roof. Barrett hissed, all four are behind you. Jane didn't turn to look. Instead, she picked up the feed from Barrett's helmet and watched the mechs coming after her at a disturbingly fast pace. They were eight meters away, seven, six. One walked in front, two followed, and the fourth came behind. Barrett trailed them several steps back. I'll take the one closest to me, Jane said. I'll get the laggard. Three, two, one. Now. Jane turned and jumped. The mech she'd targeted jumped too, but not fast enough. They hit in midair. She spilled over its back, but managed a clawed grip on its carapace, hauling it down with her. It had a torch. She scrambled on top of it, holding its arm down with her foot. Flame touched ice, vapor roiled up, turning almost instantly into snow, while beneath her weight the mech went still. Jane popped open its panel and slammed mechanical fingers down on the three keys. But she was breathing too hard to feel the mech's faint vibrations. She couldn't tell if the vibrations had stopped. Did it shut down? She panted. Did it? Move, Barrett shouted. Jane saw the bright blue light of another torch darting toward her face. She rolled, a line of heat seared her forearm, followed by a blade of cold. A muscle assist popped her back onto her feet as two torches jabbed toward her. She jumped back, pursued by a pair of mechs, each with a torch in one hand, a saw in the other. Pain like a vice gripped her forearm. She glanced at the wound. The torch had cut a line in her suit, but it had not cut quite through. She pinched the burnt edges together, helping the suit's healthy tissue to meet and seal. Then she jumped again to avoid the oncoming mechs. With chagrin, she realized they'd learned to work together in their attack, doubtless from the very recent example of cooperative assault that she and Barrett had shown them. Okay, Janie, Barrett asked. So far. They'd brought down one mech each, but there were still two more on the roof. Both pursued Jane, torches out in a coordinated rush, until Barrett tackled one from behind. It went down. Barrett slapped open the panel, decommissioned it, and was up again in seconds, while Jane led the last one on a merry chase. A column of snow marked every dropped torch. Jane wove between them to distract the mech, while Barrett stood still, trying to go unnoticed in the mech's busy visual field.
Jane slipped past her, the mech followed, and Barrett pounced. Her breathing came ragged over the comm. That's five down, five to go. Jane made a quick circuit of the roof, gathering up the torches and switching them off before they could melt all the way down to the membrane. Now we take care of the honey hole. Barrett was still pulling hard for air. I hope you're planning to help out a little more this time. Jane snorted. I thought it was very noble of me to be the bait. They jumped down from the roof. Lorelei came out of the gold-foiled dome of the pod. She held up a rectangular wafer for them to see. It was no more than one by two inches, thin as foil. Light a torch, she said. Jane complied. The blue flame was a needle in the dark. That's it, then? That's the source of the rogue code? And it's the only one? It's the only one I could find. Lorelei laid the wafer down on the ice and stepped back. Burn it. Jane did. And then she ground it with her boot and burned the remnants again. As they crossed the dusty regolith to the construction site, Jane spotted a flock of tiny lights a few hundred yards away. The mechs, she announced. If not for the glowing circles dotting their legs and carapaces, they might have come unseen. They must have been recharging in the honey hole. No, Barrett said grimly. I think they were taking notes. Lorelai stopped. I don't understand. Why are they hauling rebars? The mech's legs flashed as they stepped swiftly through the dust, and after a few seconds, Jane saw what Barrett and Lorelai had spotted first. Three of the mechs were armed with long steel rebars from the construction site. Damn it, Jane, Barrett groused. They saw you hit that mech with a rod. Lorelai turned. Jane couldn't see her face, but her voice sounded scandalized. You hit a mech? I told you. This was before you told me. Did you damage it? Jane snorted. Sadly, no. I used a plastic rod. The mechs have improved my example. They've got steel. We aren't going to be able to get close to them, Barrett warned. By this time, the mechs were hardly a hundred yards away and moving fast. We could just walk out on the ice, Lorelai said in a small voice. Lead them away until they run out of power. If they've just come out of the honey hole, they've got 12 hours. Our suits won't last that long. And besides, I don't want to give them a chance to blow the rest of the igloo. Then what do we do? Jane touched the seam that marked the healed tear in the forearm of her suit. A pressure suit was just another form of air skin. Without power, both turned into diamond-hard crystal. We need to incapacitate the mechs without harming them. Right, Barrett said with sharp impatience. And how do we do that? Let's go back to the igloo. I have an idea. Jane took everyone up to the roof. With a muscle assist from the suits, the jump was easy. There are two ways we can lose this battle, Jane reminded. We lose if the mechs kill us, and we lose if we kill the mechs. But if it comes down to it, and we're going to lose anyway, let's lose the second way. Agreed? We're going to win, Lorelai said in a hollow voice. Barrett echoed the sentiment. Jane shrugged. Fine, then. 
let's win. She jumped down through the blast hole into the blown bedchamber. During the time Jane had been outside, the ragged edges of the room's air skin had knit together, joining just a few feet above the floor. With the seal complete, the flexible membrane had hardened into a smooth, curved surface. Jane kept her feet when she landed on it, but she couldn't stop herself from sliding until she fetched up against the exposed wall of ice. It occurred to Jane that not an hour before, she'd been sleeping in this room, in the cocoon of Carly's warmth. No time for sightseeing, Barrett chided gently. Hush, child, don't annoy your elders. Jane fired up her torch. Braced against the wall, she bent low and started cutting. At the first touch of the flame, the airskin caved in, dropping away from the heat. Jane bent lower and kept cutting, until slowly, slowly, the flame sliced the airskin open. The small space enclosed by the airskin had already started to repressurize, so for a second, ice flakes geysered through the crack. Then, along the cut edges, the airskin softened, again becoming a flexible, rippling fabric as it strove to seal up the cut. Jane didn't let that happen. She jammed her foot through the crack and kicked it wider. Lorelei jumped down to help, folding the airskin back while Jane kept cutting, separating a large sheet of it and exposing again the remains of the room. Barrett stayed on the roof, watching the approaching mechs and counting down the time to their arrival. You've got maybe 20 seconds. Okay, 10. That's it. The first one just jumped to the roof. Jane passed the torch to Lorelei. Be ready to make the last cut, but only when I tell you, not before. It was too dark to see her face past the helmet, but she took the torch with steady hands. With a corner of the membrane gripped in one mechanical hand, Jane jumped back up through the blast hole. All five remaining mechs were already on the roof. Barrett stood facing them with the hole at her back. The airskin writhed in Jane's grip, rolling up and down her arm. She hadn't been afraid of the mechs before, not really truly afraid. She'd known they were dangerous. After the first bang rod, she'd known her life and Barrett's and Lorelei's could end as quickly as Carly's had. But the mech assault had happened so fast, she'd had no time to really be afraid. Until now. Of the five mechs, three held ten-foot-long steel rebars, while two used their dexterous double arms to hold torches and drills. Jane had a nasty suspicion the drills weren't meant for drilling. Look out, she shouted, as a mech hurled its drill dead on at Barrett. Barrett dropped flat, the drill spun past her, disappearing into the dark as the mechs swarmed. Get up, Jane growled as the mechs came after Barrett, a pack of mechanical zombies armed with sticks and stones and fire. Barrett, move. Stop worrying about me and do your job, Barrett snapped, still lying face down. Fine then, Jane tugged hard on the airskin. Lorelei, cut it and jump. Barrett waited another second until the mechs were in rebar range. Then she vaulted backward, landing on her feet. The startled mech slowed. Barrett turned and ran. The zombie mob took after her, while Lorelei shouted, Jumping! As Barrett darted past the blast hall, Lorelei appeared at its mouth. 
She hauled herself out, clutching another corner of the airskin in one mechanical hand. They now had a sheet of it, cut free from the room. Severed from its power source, the skin had only seconds before it froze into a crystal coffin. Already, Jane felt it getting stiff in her hands. She got ready, knowing they'd have only one chance to make this work. Alongside the blast hall, there was only a narrow strip of intact roof. The mechs bunched together as they passed around it, just as Jane had hoped. Stand firm, she said. I'm going... Now! With the airskin gripped in both hands, she stepped away from the mechanical mob. Lorelei held the other end, and the skin became a trembling gray curtain between them. Lorelei stood behind it, but Jane kept in sight. The mech saw her and pursued, sweeping past Lorelei. As soon as they'd gone by, Lorelei cut behind them, bending the airskin to form a U. Now came the critical part. Could they close the circle? Jane waited an extra second. Then she turned and darted back along the roof's edge. The airskin billowed around the mechs as they turned to cut her off. And then she was past them. Lorelei was only a step away. Pull it tight, Jane warned. An eight-foot rebar came spinning out of the mech mob. Jane felt betrayed. She'd never taught them to throw a rebar. She ducked, but not fast enough. Steel slammed against her shoulder, knocking her down and sending her skidding across the ice. But she didn't let go of the airskin. Her mechanical hands kept their grip, even as she plunged over the roof's edge. Jane stirred, wondering how she'd come to be in the easy room. She was stretched out on a couch, a blanket pulled up to her chin. Barrett sat in a cushy chair a few feet away, watching her with a critical expression. Jane tried to speak, but she had to swallow a few times before she had enough moisture in her throat to ask, what the hell is going on? Barrett leaned back in her chair, her eyes narrowed. You fell off the roof. If you remember, that wasn't in the plan. It all started coming back. Where's Lorelei? I'm here, Jane. Her gentle voice came sailing out of HQ. As it turns out, Barrett went on. Falling off the roof probably saved us all. The airskin wasn't going to pull tight enough around the mechs to confine them. Not until you went over. Then Lorelei jumped after you and dragged the mechs down with her. By the time they knew what hit them, the airskin had crystallized around them and they couldn't move. All but one. It got out, but I tackled it and shut it down. And the rest? We cut them out one at a time and turned them off. Then we reset them all to factory specs. Lorelei's loading some basic construction directives into them now. So we got lucky again? We got lucky. The red didn't beat us this time. You did good, Janie. I'm proud of you. You didn't harm even a single enemy. Jane snorted. Let's both try to live a few years longer and make up for it next time. Hello again, and welcome back from Callisto. 
What an awesome power science fiction has to take us to distant places, as distant as a moon of Jupiter. I had the pleasure of reading the story this morning and it woke me well. The author really took me there. The production of the story, as well as all the other stories in the Lightspeed Magazine podcasts, are the work of Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Rudnicki and his Skyboat Road Company, Inc. And that's in association with Ted Scott's 50 Nugget Wash Productions. To subscribe to this podcast, comment on this story, or read additional stories from Lightspeed Magazine, visit lightspeedmagazine.com. By the way, we're having a sale on our older ebooks. All issues from 2010 are on sale right now for just 99 cents. If you haven't already got the whole set, now would be a great time to pick up those back issues. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. And yes, I can see you. Clairvoyance. It's one of my superpowers. Cheers from all of us at Lightspeed Magazine. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.